Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host, Aaron, aka the Cricket Connoisseur, and joining me on my left for tonight's very special episode of TCCP is none other than former Derbyshire and Staffordshire seamer, Greg Cork. So Greg, first things first, mate, thank you very much for joining me here on the podcast tonight. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome you on for a chat about all things county crickets. I have to ask, mate, how's your day been so far? Been good. Been very good. Been very busy. Um, working over in Birmingham, over in, in sunny Tisley. Um, yeah, just come back about an hour and a half back home. So, yeah, going to be going to be chilling out today. So, No wonder you're happy, to be honest, Greg, spending some time in the greatest city on planet Earth. Birmingham, the second city, home of the greatest county cricket club on planet Earth, a certain Warwickshire. Less than a minute into the podcast, I've already mentioned the Bears, so apologies for the new listeners out there. There might be a little bit of, of Bears bias as the podcast does go on today, but no, glad to hear that you've had a good day, Greg. Fantastic place to spend your day as well, Birmingham, and yeah, <laughs> fingers crossed I can provide a good end to the day as well with a nice episode of the County Cricket Podcast. But for the new listeners out there who maybe aren't quite familiar with how we operate here at CCCP, Essentially, I'm going to be talking to Greg today all about his cricketing journey. We will, of course, start right at the beginning with the origins of the Greg Court cricketing story. Then a large chunk of today's episode will, of course, revolve around the mighty Derbyshire County Cricket Club. And then we shall end today's discussion with a little look ahead to the future. But Greg, before we get into all of that good stuff then, and we jump the proverbial gun per se, I want to take it all the way back to the origins of the Greg Court cricketing journey. So what were your first ever memories of cricket? Either playing or watching this simply spectacular game? I think it all started from my grandfather, uh, Gerald, who is a born and bred Staffordshire, Staffordshire gentleman. Um, we, our family were very much affiliated with Betley Cricket Club. They are they played within the North Staff South Cheshire League, um, so Staffordshire born and bred, and very much he was a big figure within the club. Um, our family were very much associated with that club. My nan used to help out with with teas during the day, um, so it was very much a family um, family led club. Um, and then obviously. Um, my grandfather had three sons, uh, Dominic, Simon and Jonathan, and they were very much associated with the club as well. Played age group cricket throughout throughout their uh, time and then moved into moved into the, the first team and more senior senior teams. And then along came myself, who very much I don't think there's anything that stood out too much other than I've been told stories about me trying to bowl with my dummy in my hand, whether or not that had any relation to me wanting to be a bowler or was just bored or wanted to say something. Um, I'm unsure, but I think that was one of the early, earliest memories that I got told um, was associated with cricket. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Greg, that is a fantastic memory. I don't think we've had that on the podcast so far. 220-odd episodes in, bowling with a dummy in your hand. I was not expecting that on today's episode of the Counter Cricket Podcast, but let's face it, given that family connection, obviously we'll probably have 
a longer discussion about the influence of your dad, Dominic, in due course, but very much those tight family links to the game of cricket, Betley Cricket Club as well in Staffordshire, obviously playing a massive role in terms of your early cricketing days. And in terms of village cricket, before we get on to the discussion about your dad and we get into the chat about Derbyshire County Cricket Club, what would you say has been your all-time favourite village cricket memory? I would say uh, I, I live in Derby and I, the, the local club that I've played for throughout the years would be Denby Cricket Club very much. It's where I started that quick cricket right through to um, senior and men's cricket. I would say we there was a, there was a year where we won Division 1 and I believe we were unbeaten. And within that team, we had Cameron Bancroft playing for us as an overseas cricketer. So, yeah, very much he helped us get to um, lifting the trophy. But I would say that was probably, that, that, that stood out just because of, I think, senior cricket and, and first team cricket is, is such a good grounding uh, for any young aspiring cricketer. And I think when you start playing with fully grown men who seem massive and strong and uh, uh, and the ball's being whacked around everywhere, I think once you've had something significant like that happen where you've won a league together and, and that just that camaraderie, I think it really inspires you to move on to bigger and better things uh, and greater things. It certainly does. And that's what I love about village cricket. Unfortunately, in my days at the mighty Rowington, I haven't had the taste of success just yet when it comes to silverware. But, you know, it's just creating those memories, isn't it? Alongside your mates and alongside your, your teammates. There's nothing better, in my opinion, than village cricket. It's a fantastic way into the game and you make some fantastic friends. So, obviously, if you can get to a local club this summer, please just go and support them, whether that's playing or just watching them. Village clubs really are the, the foundation, aren't they? of cricket in this country and they deserve to be supported in any way shape or form and you mentioned quick cricket there Greg another format of the game that I love mentioning here on the podcast and I want to know if you ever played this during your days in village cricket but the legendary formats the goated formats diamond cricket did you ever play it I'm not too sure. I remember playing a form of quick cricket where you used to run to point and then run to square leg and then try and defend your try and defend your stumps as 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 quick as possible um as the bowler tries to bowl. I don't know whether that has that's what you class as diamond cricket. I think that's the only other sort of format away from your normal quick cricket but unsure. Oh, that's a shame. Honestly, Greg, if you get the chance this summer at Ticknell Organise yeah. a diamond cricket. Diamond cricket okay. used to be one of the absolute greatest games on the planet. Definitely fueled my love for cricket. I absolutely used yeah. to love that in primary school. It was just a great way to get people involved. And <laughs> I know exactly what you're on about with that format. We used to play that in school as well, in the yeah. in the indoor gym, when it was a bit rainy. We used to do that one. I was terrible at it. And unfortunately, yeah. the batting still has not improved all these years <laughs> later. So I think that was probably an omen, to be honest, back in the school days, that batting was not for me and and talking there. More of the fun element though, isn't it? It's more of the fun element and I think just to look, what you alluded to earlier, just about that grassroot entry into into cricket as well. I think um, the, you, you, your fourth, your thirds, your second team 
teams are so vital to one, providing the talent into the first team. But there's going to be men and women out there that are more than happy to play at that sort of standard that have a hard week throughout the week, but have something throughout the summer to look forward to. And I think that is the that epitomises cricket for me in, in, in England, that camaraderie, that spirit, that whatever the result, let's go and have a drink after and, and, and look forward to, to the Saturday. Definitely. And again, it's just so important, isn't it, that we do look after these grassroots cricket clubs because, as you've alluded to right there, they are the lifebloods of community. And it's just so, so important that we do give them support in any way that we can. And I love playing village cricket. I don't get as much opportunity as I would hope to as a result of my cricket media commitments at times. But goodness me, it's always fun. You know, I always leave that field, obviously, unless I've got a duck or something, which unfortunately, <laughs> listeners, is quite often and more than I'd want to. But e- even if you do have a-, a bad game, I still leave the field with a smile on my face because it is the greatest sport on the planet. And again, that is why I love grassroots cricket. It's that camaraderie. As you mentioned, Greg, it's the enjoyment factor, isn't it? And if you do win, it's fantastic. You get bragging rights for the weekend as well. So again, there's so many benefits to grassroots cricket. Cannot recommend it enough. And as I said, if you can't get down to a club this summer, please, please do support them in any way that you can. But Greg, just going back to those early days then, the formative years of the Greg Court cricketing story, we have to talk about idols and influences because, let's face it, there's going to be an obvious one, isn't there? Obviously, your granddad's and your dad, a certain Dominic Cork, just played for England and, and Derbyshire and, and Lancashire and Hampshire, to name, but a few did, did Mr. Cork, but... Aside from family influences, in the professional game, either at county level or the international level beyond that, who were your cricketing idols and influences? Did you have any role models in the professional game that you tried to emulate in those early years, per se? I think it's your classic, and I don't really like repeating probably what a few others on this podcast have said before, but I think it I think everybody can probably guess what sort of era of cricket what's and, and what sort of all-rounder um, really stands out. Andrew Flintoff, and, and I think that's probably a very much a, a common answer uh, to the question. Um, and also the, the, the 05 Ashes, I think, speaking to yourself off air, um, I, I wanted to try and try and pick out somebody else or a certain series but I, I I just can't I think that that series that was played was the the, the, the squads that both teams had um, and both countries had was some of the best cricketers uh, in, in, in that in that sort of era and I think England were always the underdogs but it just shows that it doesn't matter what names you've got on the piece of paper, it matters about that team spirit and adversity. Um, Andrew Flintoff, yeah, he's probably the one that really stands out. And he probably wasn't the most successful throughout, probably with runs and wickets, but it's a bit like Ben Stokes nowadays. He's not going to perform every single match, but when but when he does, it's the times where he needs to stand up. And it was the same with Flintoff. Um, the over against Ricky Ponting, um, Think little things like the Gary Gary Pratt run out as well. Um, I think them little snippets um, are, are are very much 
my uh, one of my earliest memories of a role model or a series that I that I remember very very vividly. Well, to be honest, Greg, there's no complaints on my end that we get to bring up the 2005 Ashes. I know I do bring it up so many times on this podcast, but if anything, I think that's a testament, isn't it, to the wide-ranging impact of that series. It has, it has affected and influenced an entire generation of cricketers in this country, and the impact has seen even to this very day. I mean, it was a fantastic series, both on and off the field, some fantastic characters on both sides. And Greg, I do always ask this question, and apologies for the older listeners because you will have heard this a thousand times by now, but if you could go back in time to one day from that iconic series in 2005 and pick just one day of crickets to watch live in the ground, which day would you select and why? I think there's not a particular day, but I think a particular moment, there was a couple, there was the Andrew Strauss catch one-handed, um, stretched, um, just looked under unbelievable. Um, I think also as well, I, I see it a lot on Twitter, the memes of Simon Jones just reverse swinging and, and just that pure noise of of uh, the off stump being cartled um, out of the out of the ground. I think. And then obviously you've got you've got Michael Vaughan, that famous celebration at mid-off, raising both of his hands to the sky and 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 just and and then raising the raising the urn. It, it's so funny, such a, a small trophy compared to so many of the sporting trophies out there that is so significant to English and Ashes rivalry. Um, it, yeah, it was just that uh, the, I would say them three or four would would stand out um, for myself. Well, again, some fantastic moments. And, and let's face it, from that series, there isn't exactly a shortage, is there, to be honest? you got Glenn McGrath as well. If we are going to provide a little bit of an Australian perspective, he got his 500th <laughs> test wicket in, mm-hmm. the, in the series opener at Lords, dismissed Marcus Truscothic to get to that milestone. And then, obviously... You mentioned that over from Freddie Flintoff to Ricky Ponting at Edgebaston. One of the most captivating overs in cricket history. If you have not watched that, if by some incredible chance you've not seen it on Twitter or social media, you have my permission. Leave the podcast right now, put it into YouTube and come back. You will not regret it. You really won't. You'll thank me later for seeing that over. One of the greatest spells not just in Ashes history, but Test match history, it really is scintillating cricket at its utmost best. And, and talking of the great Freddie Flintoff then, Greg, we do have to follow that up with another question, which I do like asking on this podcast. And again, it is one which I've asked plenty of times. But in terms of Freddie Flintoff moments, what would you say is your all-time favourite moments from the great man? I would say I heard something along the lines of when it was the 05 Ashes, I think it was at Edgebaston, he um, he was facing Shane Warne and I think he hit two sixes um, to long on. And something something's telling me that somebody said that he, he hit it straight to his father or something and his father caught it. How, how true that is, I'm unsure. But I think just... And, and it's probably the same with with the current England squad. Just how brave how brave Bo, uh, Flintoff was um, 
trying to hit a six off Shane Warne, who's probably, I don't know what day it was, uh, who's trying to hit the footmarks from the likes of McGrath, Kaspovic, um, I think potentially Brett, uh, Brett Lee as well. Um, and just that fear um, of, uh, no fear, ultimately. Um, and just backing himself, I think. And also the... the the, the the sort of person that he is as well, his character, I think he's such a likeable person that you never get a quiet moment with him. Whether or not he gets nor whether or not he gets 100, there's always some sort of bravado with uh, Andrew Flintoff. There certainly is. And, you know, you mentioned that character, that personality. I think back to his time in the Big Bash and he did that commentary whilst out in the middle for the Brisbane Heat. That's a great example of it. And then the classic one, which I have brought up a lot of times here on the podcast, and obviously at the time, I wasn't best pleased on the day because it was finals day 2014, but he returns for Lancashire and he gets Ian Bell out in his first over. And it was just a wild, wild scene. Obviously, the Lancs fans at Edgebaston went wild upon that, but he just stands there with his arms aloft as though it's like the, the king has returned to English cricket. What an absolute icon, a legend of the game. And to be honest, Greg, he's up there, isn't he? In terms of England's greats, I'm not just talking all-rounders, but in terms of England's greatest cricketers from a personality perspective and in terms of that X factor that he possessed, Freddie Flintoff's up there. So a great shout, absolutely no surprises there whatsoever. And yeah, the 2005 Ashes making an appearance on the County Cricket Podcast <laughs> Yet again, 220 again. episodes in. One day it might not, though. So we have to be grateful that it does come up on the podcast. And any excuse to talk about it, I will take with both hands. But, Greg, we are almost 20 minutes into the recording now. And we haven't really spoken about the influence of your dad just yet. And I do imagine that he's played a tremendous role in shaping and developing your journey in county cricket in particular. So... In terms of your your relationship with your dad, what was that like in the early days in terms of him trying to develop you as a cricketer? Just how important was his influence in those early days? Yeah, really important. I think when I was growing, when I was young, a lot younger, I think that was when he was at his pump, so very much playing for England. So I don't think there was many times that I remember seeing it, watching him on TV. I know that there was a, a, a time where it was with my grandfather and and and, and Nan. Uh, we went to go and watch uh, Old Trafford, Pakistan versus England when they had uh, Pakistan had such a such an amazing team: Mohammad Yusuf, um, Inzamanul Haq. I just remember the Pakistani fans just absolutely screaming his name. I remember we sitting on stone walls um, that were like benches. Um, I would say that's probably what, that's what stood out um, me remembering um, my father playing for, for England. And I, and I think, look, he's, he's had such a tremendous career. Um, and I think he was probably most influential when I was, breaking into Derbyshire when I was picking his brains about certain things, certain fields, certain how would you go about facing such and such? And it was just uh, just a, a fantastic soundboard to have. Just uh, he, he, he backed me and was very confident um, that I was going to be successful. But I think it was just nice for me to get that reassurance and 
uh, and just pick his brains. Um, 980, 989 first class wickets. I think he's he, he's a he's a good person to go and have a conversation with. Thirty seven test matches, so he's uh, he's not done too bad, the old man. <laughs> he certainly didn't. Honestly, Dominic was an exceptional same bowler and. Obviously, I don't remember this because it was six years before my birth, but I have watched the highlights of it in the years that followed. His test debut in 1995, seven for 43 against yeah. the West Indies at Lords. So on test debut, I think they are the best figures by an England debutant, actually, in, in at least the past 30 years. It might actually be all time, to be honest, at Lords. So again, it was quite some start to his, his test career, which, as you mentioned, did last for 37 in total, and then obviously in county cricket, just an exceptional player, wasn't he? So, as you said, Greg, yeah, not, not many better mentors and, <laughs> and idols to have, really, growing up with that cricketing journey. And in terms of your first kind of experiences with county cricket, then, we do have to talk about Derbyshire County Cricket Club, because that was the club that you appeared for in county cricket proper. So, in terms of your first kind of dealings and opportunity at Derbyshire, how did that first materialise in the first place? Because if I'm not mistaken, you played from, from quite a young age on the academy. Yeah, it, it started off with the age groups uh, and it started off, I believe, uh, probably under 11s and, and worked my way up through uh, through the age groups every year, um, waiting, waiting for that letter. I think it was a letter back then that got sent through saying that you've been selected for, for, for that season. Um, very much a daunting period and, and a, a scary period uh, waiting for that letter. Um, luckily, very, very blessed to, uh, I think I was successful each year um, with Derbyshire. And um, when I got up to the under 15s, I was fortunate enough to be selected for the Bunbury Festival. Um, Sir David English, who sadly passed away, um, was uh, a tremendous bloke and he will always be remembered in everyone's hearts for I think that he he was nicknamed the loon um he was just the life and soul of the party and yeah that Bunbury festival it gave you the opportunity to play against the best under 15s throughout the country so it was the north the midlands um, London and the East and South and, and West. And, and we had a really strong team. I think we had four players from Derbyshire, including myself. Um, we had a couple of Warwickshire players, um, Pete Mackay and Bassett Zaman, um, who were both in my team. And probably the, 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 the standout player would be Ben Duckett. So he was in my he was in my age group um, and gone on and, um, and had a really successful career and, only looks like it's only just started. So, um, yeah, that was a really, really good opportunity to see to see also where where you uh, where you fit and where you where you stood against some of the best under 15s as well. Um, so it was a good reference point moving forward. Um, and then I think that was a period where it was doing it was being invited on the mini academy. Then the under 18s and then and then the fully fledged academy as well. So I had a really, really successful, smooth transition from under 11s, which seems like an absolute eternity, um, all the way up to playing under 18 cricket, two day cricket, the excitement of going away, staying over and being away from your parents and home. 
um, and going to have a good time, understanding what the longer format game is all about, and then playing and playing academy cricket. And we and we had a really strong academy. We had um, players of note that are still playing now: Ben Slater, Tommy Taylor, um, Will Davis, probably um, Matt Critchley um, played, and um, Callum Parkinson as well. And then and then you've got a few others that have moved on now but we, yeah we had a really solid academy team um and a really good crop of young players they, they talk about cycles and i think that was a really good cycle of players that, that we had and i think we all had a lot of fun playing with each other as well i think you've got to have that fun element as much as you've got to do the job on the pitch you most certainly do because even though we all take cricket tremendously seriously and it is a very brutal game at times, you do have to strip it back sometimes, don't you? And take that back step and almost change your perspective. Cricket is a sport. It's a game. It is there to be enjoyed. And obviously, if you can do it alongside your mates, there's nothing better, is there, than succeeding alongside your friends. So, yeah, completely echo the sentiment there, to be honest, Greg. And you mentioned some of those players. So the likes of Matt Critchley, now playing for Essex. You mentioned the likes of Ben Slayton out in Nottinghamshire. Got a 55-list-A average if my my memory is correct as well. He is a tremendous 50-over cricketer. Is Ben Slater, then, of course, Tom Taylor and Will Davis, who play for North Ants and Leicestershire, respectively. This is a little bit off-topic, Greg, because this isn't necessarily about your cricketing journey, but it's about the, the wider cricketing conversation in these past couple of years, in particular about Derbyshire County Cricket Club, because you mentioned the strength of that academy system, and it is undeniable. The fact is Derbyshire are producing cricketers who are going on to have very, very good county careers. And, you know, another one would be Hamid Kadri, for example, who's gone on to play for Kent in recent years. What what do you make of that wider conversation when it comes to the naysayers of Derbyshire County Cricket Club who say, well, maybe this shouldn't have first-class status. Maybe we should reduce the number of first-class counties. What is your opinion on that perspective, given the fact that you've come through that academy system, you've seen the talent which has been nurtured in the East Midlands, you've got that family connection to the club, you know just how much this club means to the local community. What would you have to say to the naysayers of Derbyshire County Cricket Club's existence as a first-class club? Tough one, that. I think I've probably done a bit of cheating. I've, I've listened to a, a couple of other podcasters um, that you've done. I think uh, Tom Wood, who I'm a good fan, Good friend with, um, Top and bloke. yeah, good, good bloke, good bloke. Um, shout out to him. Um, I think, I think you said that Derbyshire are one of the the the, the oldest clubs out there, um, and I think um, just because I, th- I think Derbyshire are a bit of a scapegoat as well, because we're probably geographically one of the smallest. I think we haven't produced any England players since a certain um, Dominic Cork. Um, and obviously people start pointing the fingers when England don't do well. Um, and then it turns into county cricket and there's a wider conversation, obviously, with the appoint- appointment of Rob Key, Ben Slater, uh, Ben Slater, Ben Stokes, maybe Ben Slater one day, hopefully. Who knows? <laughs> um, ben Stokes and Brendan McCullum. I think the county county cricket and county teams now are being shielded. But I think prior to that, when England were going through that transition, the the lights of Derbyshire, Northampton, Leicestershire, these smaller counties 
and maybe the association of franchise cricket as well and just trying to widen the, the talent pool but play with less count less clubs is it, everyone it, i think county cricket's the purest form and you need these smaller smaller counties to want to compete against the bigger clubs they say it's david versus goliath but derbyshire have um every right to be there with the age the heritage obviously with mickey Ar mickey arthur would not have joined derbyshire if he didn't see potential if if mickey arthur um didn't um well if mickey obviously mickey arthur is now joined now and it sends a message out to these people that are with these Chinese whispers saying that Derbyshire shouldn't be a county. Um, it, it, it shows them that we are we should be taken seriously or they should be taken seriously. They most certainly should. And again, obviously, I'm incredibly biased with this perspective as the host of the County Cricket podcast. But I've never understood the criticism of clubs like Derbyshire. Yes, they aren't winning the county championship every single year, but... They're producing some fine cricketers and, and let's not forget as well, cricket's a cyclical game. For all we know, in the next 10, 15, 20 years, Derbyshire could form a really good team and go on to dominate one day cricket. You never know in cricket. That's the beauty of this game. It's the it's it's almost the, the sense of not knowing what's around the corner, isn't it? It's the unpredictable nature of the cricketing beast itself. And you, you mentioned Mickey Arthur. Mickey Arthur has been an absolute revelation. He's come into Derbyshire. He's got a fantastic mentality. He really has drilled it into those boys that Derbyshire is no longer a stepping stone, is it, of a county cricket club. You come to Derbyshire, he wants to win trophies. And let's not forget as well that he's just turned down the chance to, to go and work in Pakistan, I think, for example. So he really is focused on delivering here at the Encora ground in 2023 and the years beyond. So obviously, I'm always going to back Derbyshire. I love them as a club. I think they're a fantastic community club. Obviously, the players have been absolutely fantastic to us on the podcast, but they have their value in county cricket. And even if that isn't a case of them producing two, three England players every single year, they serve a purpose to their community and they serve a purpose to the players who play for them week in, week out over the course of the summer. So interested to know your perspective there, Greg. Obviously, I wasn't expecting anything too dissimilar, given the fact that you played for the club and quite clearly have such strong emotions connected to the county. They're a great county. As you mentioned, 153 years of history in Derbyshire. Championship winners in 1936. So there's plenty of heritage and pedigree associated with the Falcons as a side. And fingers crossed that they can have another 153 more years in the future as well, because they definitely do deserve to exist as a first-class county, in my personal opinion. But Greg, just going back to your cricketing story then, and we've mentioned there the age groups and the academy set up at Derbyshire County Cricket Club. Let's now talk about your debut for the East Midlands side because you've been at the club for years. You've come up through that system, that pathway to, to almost reach this moment, this realisation of the boyhood cricketing dream. First and foremost, how did you find out that you're going to make your debut for Derbyshire County Cricket Club? trying to remember now it's a long time ago I believe it was just uh we we were warming up i think uh, i was a part of the squads and and before you, tr you 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 get some whispers or is somebody injured or um you 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 
you're on edge and you want you want to play you want to get the nod and I, and I, we were in the huddle and and I just got the nod and saying you're playing and it's like and it's probably a blessing because you haven't got enough time to react um to it and 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 think about it I think in some teams they get told the night before and it must be sleepless nights um but I think with the timing and and just being told yes you you play in maybe a quick text to your family going I'm playing I'm playing um but other than that I think with the with the time and everything like that you you were just straight into it and 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 and, and focused on the game yeah I think that that's that's very helpful isn't it as opposed to knowing maybe one or two days in advance because you would have those butterflies the nerves might set in for example, so knowing closer to the game, I think that is a lot more helpful, isn't it? It makes it easier to go straight into that match day situation. And talking of the debut itself, Greg, what can you remember from the day in terms of walking out onto that field representing Derbyshire County Cricket Club, a team which your father represented? Just how, how special of a moment was that for you to walk out onto that field and represent the East Midlands County? I think obviously with the affiliation with the club, um, the pathway and from under 11s all the way up to uh, all the way up to my debut, I, I just think it was an absolute dream come true. I think words and probably like mo- most people, words can't describe that 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 feeling, that utopia moment where you think flip. I, I, I've got it. I've got what it takes here. Um, I think. Probably like a lot of people, when you go out to field, you're like, don't fluff it up. Do not drop it or anything like that. And I think there was a moment where I was playing at Old Trafford in a T20 and Josh Butler was playing. And Old Trafford's very uh, is, is sand-based um, because of the drainage system that they've got there. And I was fielding at Long On. And you always, you've got, you've got the old, you've got the, all the manks behind you, a little bit merry and tipsy, all giving you some lovely words of advice. And then all of a sudden the ball goes up. Next thing, it's about a metre away from me. I've all I've got, I've just got to move about two metres to my right. And it's a clean catch straight through my hands. And I just wanted to dig up the ground so deep and just run away. Luckily, I think he only went on to make another 10 extra runs. But I, but I remember that day, and I was like, and uh, and I think that was a day that I got told that I've uh, got a two-year extension. So I've gone from one high to the absolute lowest of lows. Um, but yeah, luckily he only went on to make another ten runs. Yeah, that is very, very fortunate because, as we all know, Joss Butler, one of the most destructive players on planet Earth, he easily could have hit another hundred, couldn't he? Let's face it, an incredibly gifted cricketer is Jossens. Yeah, just again, words can't really describe just how much of an impact he's had on English white ball cricket in these past few years. Just a, a genius, isn't he? Almost in the same echelon as the likes of an A.B. de Villiers, for example, or a Brendan McCullum in terms of the inventiveness and the ingenuity that he possesses in the game of cricket. But in terms of, of your debut then, Greg, First and foremost, what can you remember then about the day itself? Can you remember your performance? Can you remember anything in particular from that day which maybe stands out? Or was it just almost a, a blur, given all of those emotions and and feelings associated with the pride of, of representing Derbyshire? I think it was I think it was just a blur. I think I just didn't feel like I was there. It's just one of them things where 
maybe I just, maybe the occasion got to me or who we were playing against got to me. It's I think it's very difficult, and probably a lot of people say you, you you're supposed to play the ball and not and, and not who's bowling at you or who who you're bowling at. And I think it, it's so difficult, and it, it's an it's an art to take away who you're playing against, where you're playing at, um, who you're bowling at, who you're who you who you're facing um, to that, and and also on top of that, be do well. So I think it's it, yeah, it, it I think it was just a blur. It was more of that excitement and just the being proud to have, have finally finally made the debut. Oh, of course, and that is something which no matter what happens throughout the remainder of your cricket career, you've always got your debut. It really is such a tremendously special day, an incredible occasion, and and one which lasts for eternity. It's something which lasts with you for life. So I don't think there are many better things in cricket, to be honest, than making your debut. Even if you do lose or things go badly wrong, you learn from them, don't you? So, yeah, it is quite an elite club as well. Joining that list of, of cricketers to represent Derbyshire County Cricket Club must have been absolutely remarkable to make your debut for the club. And, and Greg, just talking of remarkable moments and proud moments then, associated with your time at the East Midlands County. If you could pick one particular game, one particular performance or one particular moment per se from your time at Derbyshire, what would you say was your proudest moments in a Derbyshire shirt? I would probably say we played against Worcester. Uh, I believe that was my, I would say, proper first class debut. Um, and they had, they had a good team. And I, I was obviously in as a bowler, but I believe I think I batted at seven or eight. And um, they had their, their overseas was Miguel Cummins, who played for the West Indies. Um, who was quite an awkward bowler to face, and got got to that dreaded uh, late forties, should we say, forty nine? And you and you're thinking, look, just all of the singles that I've made in my career, I just need one more, one, just one. And um, Joe Leach was bowling and Ben Cox was standing up. So you're just thinking it's just going to be a full and straight ball, full ball. That's all it's going to be. Just a little, even if it's an inside edge. And he double bluffed me, he bowled me a bumper. And I, and, and I think the, the the moment got the better of me. And I went to go and pull it and got caught by, um, I think it was Joe Clark, uh, uh, deep square leg. And I'm thinking all that hard work, but... I would take a 49 on debut. Um, I would, yeah, I would take 49 on debut all the time. So you most certainly would, because it was an excellent knock, if I may just say so myself. 49 from 93 balls, to be specific, six fours and one six. A few boundaries in there as well, Greg. Given the <laughs> the long levers against Worcestershire at <laughs> New Road, and in terms of that stand, that must have been quite an incredible stand as well. 96 runs for the seventh wicket alongside Harvey Hussain. So. Again, what was that like with you two out there in the middle? Well, luckily, I went to school with Harvey over at Denston College and got got on really well with him. Um, he's a uh, he, he's a he's an interesting character, but yeah, got got a great friendship with him. He's very he's probably the complete opposite opposite of me, and that's why we probably get on very well. And I can't remember what the conversation was. It was just like just imagine if we win this game or something like that, something so 
out of our control, but it was just trying to distract us both from from the situation. I actually think he got a hundred that game, I believe. Um, so and and obviously he had a he had a very successful career. Um, obviously, shame that he was forced out of the game through um, concussion. But yeah, it was fantastic to to make my debut and 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 and, and bat alongside him. Well, I can certainly see why, because that is some seventh wicket stand and spot on as well. He did score three figures in that particular game, 108 to be exact for Harvey Hussain. So a pretty good stand, to be honest. Unfortunately for Derbyshire, did lose in the end. Nine wicket loss to Worcestershire in that particular match at New Road. But again, is there anything better than playing cricket in the county championship, Greg? Given the fact that, you know, you, you grow up watching this and it is almost... I suppose England is the ultimate, but aside from England and international honours, below that is county cricket, isn't it? Because you've watched it for years. You've grown up with these idols and these role models playing for the county that you love and adore so much. So, again, that must have been incredible, mustn't it? Just representing them in the championship. Yeah, and it probably goes back to that 05 Ashes that we spoke about earlier and just the purest form. I think that probably... I, I enjoy T20 cricket. I enjoy this limited overs era. Um, it probably won't be an era. It'll go on forever. But I think the purest form is either five-day or or county championship cricket. I think um, it's, more of the, it's more of the mental ask more than anything. I think if you're a first-class cricketer, talent-wise, you're there or thereabouts. But the difference between... The good and the elite is it, it is upstairs. It's it, it's the way you think, how you can deal with pressure, um, because it is it is a fantastic test of of character, personality, and, and and seeing what you're like under the pressure. It most certainly is, and you know when it comes to Test cricket, they could not have picked a better name for it, could they? Because it really is a test. It's a test of skill. It's a test of mental fortitude. It's a test of character, grit, personality. It's a test. It's a challenge. And that's why I love test cricket so much. And it is so cliche when they say about 90% mental, 10% physical. But in the game of cricket, it really is, isn't it? Over those five or four days, if it's county cricket, you are in that battle for all of those overs. You've got the conditions playing maybe against you. You've got the opposition in your face you've got your own personal battles as well let's say that you have got some some bad form coming into the game and yet for us as fans as lovers of the game you never forget for example a masterful century or a fifer or a great spell of bowling or the stumps being shattered test cricket isn't just the ultimate form of cricket in my opinion i think it's the ultimate form of sports and if you understand test cricket you're hooked on it for life it really is fantastic and the thing which I've always loved about it, and I think that Harsha Bogle mentioned this in Death of a Gentleman, I always utilise this analogy, but I think Test Cricket is a great metaphor for life because you've always got a second chance, haven't you, with your second innings. Let's say you have struggled in that first one. You can always bounce back, and that's what I absolutely love about this game. It's brutal at times. It can get you down. But when you do achieve those highs and you do achieve that success and you get those personal milestones and those incredible moments... There's nothing like it. 
in the world of sports. So cricket continues to be the greatest thing ever invented, as told to you by the host of the Counter Cricket podcast. Definitely not biased whatsoever. <laughs> but um, but Greg, in terms of of the game, then, and I did speak there about the psychological aspects and the tougher elements of the game. What would you say, aside from the proud moments, was the most difficult moments from your time? in a Derbyshire shirt. It's the one particular moment, one particular period, which maybe stands out as being particularly difficult during your time with the county. I would say probably injuries. Uh, I, I, at a young age, uh, when I was 15, I got a double stress fracture in my back. But I think the worst one is when I got a side, when I got a side strain. Um, I think it was either my second or third year and, and it was halfway through the season. And watching your teammates go out there and be successful and and and, and doing well it was fantastic but you, you always want um a bite of the cake and and not being able to help not being able to be on the field with with your friends um and work hard and, and go through the highs and go through the lows is is psychologically challenging um and and very tough to take i think you can sometimes go to a go to a dark place, but I, but I think the the resources that I had around me at Derbyshire physios and um, and and teammates um, galvanised me um, and got me through them tough times. When you think one and and one, am I good enough? Two, I, I want to get back. I want to be out there. Um, so I would say that period of time and 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 that was six to six to eight weeks and and that's a big chunk of a sixth month cricketing season um with with things like form and everything like that because you're gonna have more bad days and you're gonna have good days on the cricket pitch uh, and obviously throwing an injury in there as well it's just it can it, it it's tough but yeah the resources around me helped massively get out of that mindset well, I'm really glad to hear that, to be honest, Greg, because it's so important, isn't it? During those those more difficult moments, not just in cricket, but in life, it's about that support network, isn't it? It's about having people around you to, to get you back on the right track and the, the correct path in terms of your journey. So incredibly happy to have heard that. And in terms of those more difficult moments, this might be a rather profound question, depending on, on how you want to answer this. But what was your motivation? In terms of counter cricket, what ignited the fire inside for you to come back after all of that adversity, after those injuries, after disappointment in games, after maybe a bad run of form, whether that's in the second or first eleven? What motivated Greg Cork to come back out onto the cricket field? Good question. Very good question. I think just that affiliation with cricket from such a, a small, uh, well, a young age, and I think. Um, the association with my with with the game throughout the family, um, that feeling of utopia when making my debut, trying to emulate that again, knowing that playing for a, a, a county like Derbyshire with the size and the population and the squad, that I'm I have probably more more chances and more opportunities at Derbyshire than maybe a, a, a more of a, a than a, a test county um so I think I think 
mindset-wise, I knew there was going to be bad days. But I think if you can, if you can stay level-headed and know that you're only one innings away from having a good game and a good couple of uh, games ahead of you, and the opportunities are there, then work hard and you, you will be given the opportunity. And that is some really sage advice and, and good wisdom for any young cricketer who is listening into today's podcast because it's so important to recognise. And in, in cricket and I suppose in life in general, again, without getting too profound, it sounds like the high-performance podcast at this point, but, but failure is going to be part and parcel of your cricketing journey. And in a way, I mean, obviously I've had this change in mentality. It hasn't worked in terms of performances, but in terms of my, my approach to cricket, Sometimes you have to embrace failure, don't you? It's not always a bad thing because you learn your biggest lessons from your darkest days in this game. And, you know, you look back afterwards, maybe a few months or a few years later down the line, and you, you look at those seminal moments almost and you go, that's where things changed for me. So, again, it's all about changing your, your outlook and your perspective in the game of cricket. And, again, it's just a fascinating topic of, of conversation. I love talking about the psychological aspects of the game of cricket because it, it's so mentality-focused, isn't it, and based in comparison to a sport, for example, like, like football or rugby. Obviously, they do have mental challenges associated with them, but in cricket, there's all these different factors. And the other thing as well, which I've always noticed about the game, and, and Greg, you'll be able to probably discuss this better than I can, but do you ever almost feel a little bit like the game's out of your control? And again, that is a very deep question because there's so much against you, isn't there? In the game of cricket, you've got conditions. No one can control the weather. Again, that doesn't really impact football or rugby in the same you know, same vein as, as it does in cricket. You've got the opposition. You've got the ball. You've got the pitch. There's so many different things which are against you. And yet, for some reason, we always come back to this most incredible of sports. It's, it's delightfully strange, isn't it? Yeah, I think the, the classic cliche is very much you can control the controllables. And I think um, preparation is key and, and keeping and, and trusting the process. I think you can only do what you can do, whether that's whether that's in a, a certain routine before the game, during the game, whether that's a mindset thing, you 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 need to realise that you will fail more times than you'll have success. Um, but, the, but the difference between the, the average players and the, and the superstars are they, when, the, when they're 10 not out and above, they cash in very much so. So I think embracing failure is as important as um, cherishing success as well. It most certainly is, and it's about finding that balance, isn't it, between the two. It's about main maintaining that even keel. I think back to the episode I did with Craig Miles, and it was some advice from Mark Robinson, and he said about turning bad days into good days, good days into great days, and great days into wonderful days. And I just thought that's a great mentality to, to have in the game of cricket because there are things out of your control, and obviously, in an ideal world, we'd be scoring centuries and taking fifers. Every single game would be the next Don Bradman or the next Jack Callis or the next Glenn McGrath or Shane Warne or Matima Orlithran or Jimmy Anderson. But unfortunately, that isn't the case. There are a lot of things out of control in cricket and it's all about riding the wave and not getting too, you know, high or, or too low 
depending on how the game does treat you in a particular period. But, Greg, I suppose we do have to talk now about the, the lesser stages of your time at Derbyshire because, uh, unfortunately, you were released by the club in the 2017 season. So, first things first, I suppose, with regards to that particular stage of your career, when did you find out that you weren't going to get your, your contract renewed by the county? I think you have it in the back of your mind the year before or going into your last year of your contract that, depending on the season before, if you're having a quiet season or a, a bad season, then you put yourself on... You, you're always going to be under pressure on the back foot. And starting that 2017 season, if you don't perform well, you, you're even more on the back foot. And I think... Once you have that certain mindset, it affects your cricket, as we spoke about. It's uh, the ninety percent mentality, ten percent talent or physicality, and that has a knock-on effect. You always question yourself whether that's with the bat or with the ball. Am I good enough? And it can sometimes be uh, a really dark place. And and maybe other cricketers who got released can can um, associate their feelings with, with mine and I believe it was probably June or July time that I got I got told the news that they weren't going to extend my contract and it's it's a horrible it's a horrible day. Um but unfortunately looking back now it, it, it's very much a cutthroat environment. Professional sport is everyone wants to be a professional cricketer and um when that day happened, yeah it wasn't nice at all. But if you don't perform, just like in any walk of life, then you aren't going to be in that role um, for for a long period of time and probably even more so under scrutiny within the professional game. So, yeah, probably June, July time. And then I, I didn't have an agent or anything like that because I didn't feel like I needed one. And then the, I think there was the option of trialing, but I just thought I just knew that I needed to. I didn't, and I, I, I knew that that was the end of cricket for that for now, and and needed to understand what I'm going to do throughout the winter. Really, well, it's interesting you mention that because something I always bring up when it comes to players being released is a plan B. So backup plan, and it's something which sounds almost daftly simple, doesn't it, to many people? They'd say, well, of course, you'd have something outside of cricket. But for a lot of people, cricket is your life. And in particular for you, Greg, given that family connection to Derbyshire County Cricket Club and, of course, English cricket through your dad, Dominic, I suppose that connection's even even greater, isn't it, I suppose, because of those family ties and, and family links. So... Did you have a backup plan at the time in 2017 for the eventuality that cricket maybe didn't quite work out as you, you would have liked? Probably not. And I think you hit the nail on the head. You live, sleep, breathe cricket. Cricket is your life. Cricket's your religion. Cricket's what you wake up for. And I think you're just in this naive bubble where being a professional cricketer is is amazing. Um and you don't think about what happens after life because you're a young 20-year-old um, living your dream. Um, I think now with the PCA involved and uh, and workshops, I think it's becoming a lot more prevalent. 
and a lot more important. And it's very refreshing to see a lot more cricketers from them entering the game to to their um, later years within their cricketing career, taking and being more proactive about plan B and what's going to happen afterwards. Because unfortunately, even the greatest of cricketers, it comes to an end um, and there needs to be a plan B and and finding your feet is can be a challenging time and that transition. It most definitely can be. And that is why I always do hammer the, the, the point home on the podcast because... As you mentioned, it is almost naivety, but I suppose it's easy to get caught up in the dream, isn't it? You are living everybody's dream. Everybody wants to be a county cricketer in this country when it comes to the game of cricket, and and you get to live that day in, day out. And for a lot of players, that is all that you know, because as you said, cricket is almost this religion to people. You eat, you sleep, you breathe cricket. It almost encapsulates your entire life at certain points. But then as soon as that's taken away, if you don't have a backup plan, you're going to find things tremendously difficult because as much as there might be people like me out there who know all of these county cricketers and will recognise you straight away, the fact is the vast majority of people in this country will look at county cricket on a CV and they might not take it as seriously as you might hope. So it is just something to take into consideration. And again, you don't have to make that your life and you don't have to, you know, take a step back away from the game. But always important to have that contingency plan in place just in case things don't work out in the game of cricket. And Greg, in terms of those initial days and months, I suppose, after your release, how difficult was it for you to come to terms with that release? Because Derbyshire up until this point, had been your entire life, let's face it. You mentioned about eat, sleeping and breathing cricket. You mentioned your dad's influence, being a part of that academy system all the way up from the under-11s right up until senior-level cricket. How did you come to terms with the fact that Derbyshire were no longer going to be this massive part in your life? Tough, real tough. I think it's, it, it's your life. It encapsulates your life. Cricket does from... A young, a young eight, nine, ten-year-old, all the way up to try and think how old I was, early twenties, and I didn't have a plan B. And I think for I think second or third month of the season, I think I always had it in the back of my mind that I wasn't, I wasn't gonna have my contract renewed. And I think I already come to or came to terms with it um, long before. I was actually released and then it got to the end of the season and I was thinking I could go three ways, really. Um, I could get a full-time job and and live in the real world as it is. I could go into coaching of cricket. Um, that would have been the easy option. Or I have the opportunity to go out to Australia and luckily it was the the latter. Yeah, I was going to say out of the three options, I think I know which one I'll choose. Even though cricket coaching is also incredible, I must say. It's something which does fascinate me in terms of the, the learnings of the game. But how was that then, going to Australia? Obviously, I'm, I'm guessing the emotions were a little bit mixed because of the disappointments associated with that release. But... Just how important was that experience and and that opportunity in terms of maybe keeping that cricketing dream alive? I think it was 
really important. I think it's made me as a person away from cricket. Um, it was very much a last minute thing through an agency. Um, and Tom Wood was already going out there um, playing for Frankston over in Melbourne. So I had somebody uh, that I knew going out there because even as a young 20 year old, it's a, it's a long way, even a, and, and it's a lot further than it looks on the map um, all by yourself. And touchdown, um, absolutely jet lagged. But from day one, absolutely loved it. And it was a really, really good transition period for me playing cricket as I always have all my life. And then having a part time job, which was working within the, the Houses of Parliament in Victoria, working in the, in the HR team. So, um, yeah, very fortunate um, to have been given that opportunity with cricket and also with a job as well. And that, yeah, that blend of, of moving into the real world, that, that job really helped. It definitely does. And I've got to be completely honest, Greg, when you mentioned about a part-time job, I was not expecting the Houses of Parliament in Victoria. Um, <laughs> don't know what I was expecting, to be honest, but that was just, yeah, that's quite an incredible place to work then. Obviously, in human resources. So, yeah, that sounds like quite an incredible opportunity going out to Melbourne. Great city, obviously home of the Melbourne Cricket Ground, which is just an iconic sporting venue, let alone a cricketing venue, just a coliseum in the state of Victoria. So, yeah, I can imagine why that experience was so and think, great. And I think as well, any young cricketer who have, has got any form of opportunity to go out to Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, any of the Southern Hemisphere countries, I would take it with both hands. I was sitting on the fence. I didn't really know what to do, but my gosh, it was the best um, decision that I ever made. Um, and any young cricketer or any club cricketer or any cricketer that have, has recently been released, I would 100% go because you're doing something that not many people can say they, they've done or, or are doing. So I would say to anybody out there, um, go and do it and follow your dream. Absolutely. And that is really important, isn't it? Because you will have bumps in the rows. And I think of one particular cricketer who comes straight to mind, and that is a certain Chris Rushworth, who, when he was very young at Durham, got released. So he had to go into the, the real world, as we call it, and he unfortunately wasn't playing for Durham on a regular basis. And he worked so hard in league cricket to come back. And now look at him. You know, Durham's all-time leading first-class wicket-taker, now at my county of Warwickshire, he'll be nice in the county championship, great addition by the Bairn Ragged staff, but... Again, his story really is a great example of that, of, of never giving up on the dream. Obviously, there are going to be rough moments and there's going to be adversity. As you mentioned, a contract release might be that adversity. But the great thing about life is that opportunities can present themselves. If you're proactive enough in the pursuit of the dream, you can definitely keep it alive. And Greg, in the summer of 2018, you did exactly that by playing minor counties cricket for Staffordshire again, who your dad played for back in the day. So another nice family link there with the National County side. So just before we talk about the the world outside of cricket and your future aspirations, mate, I just want to know, what was that like playing in the National Counties for the club which your dad used to play for? 
yeah, it was special. I think I only I only had a handful of games, and that was I think that was just due to me playing at Leek Cricket Club over in over in Staffordshire. Um, but yeah, it's a it's another county that I can put on my put on my CV. Um, didn't play too many games there, but it was nice to still play at a, st- a certain standard against. Um, I think Moe Nally's brother is captain there. Um, so it, yeah, it was nice to play with new people, play against new people, um, and experience what minor county cricket was like. But it was only it was only for a handful, um, but still a good experience. Oh, exactly. And as you said, it's another one to add to the CV. It's something which I can mention at the start of a podcast intro. So obviously, that's something which you can you can take in the years that have followed. But aside from counties cricket, then, because we mentioned the likes of Derbyshire and Staffordshire, then we've got to talk the world outside of cricket, then, because unfortunately, no longer associated with county cricket at either a national counties or a first class counties level. But obviously, still a huge cricket badger as the past hour and five minutes have shown. So what what has kept your love of cricket, I suppose, over these years? What is it that's, you know, has ignited that passion, even after all of that adversity and, and disappointment at times? Yeah, I think Australia was massive. Going back to Australia, I had a good season, played for Surrey Hills. Um, over in Melbourne, I think last year they had Jack Taylor and Nathan Book playing for them. So that was uh, two very impressive um, players just playing local cricket. Um, and then coming back, I had a month off, um, played, I believe, played at Leek for two years. Didn't have two good seasons there at all. And then came back home and played for Ticknell, where I've had three years and I think having good performances helps you enjoy the game. Um, and I feel like I'm late 20s now and I feel like I know my game inside and out now. I, I, I think it's fun. I think it's mind blowing how these young late teens, early 20s are playing white ball tournaments all around the world. Fair play to them. They, are a lot more developed and understand their game a lot better than myself. Um, but I think where I am in my career now, I'm really comfortable with my game. Um, scored a thousand runs last year for throughout the season um, and took a handful of wickets. So just really enjoying playing club cricket, um, still training as hard play in other sports, play hockey throughout the winter months and play golf when I can. So still active and, and, and playing as many sports as, as possible and and just networking with people and and socialising with different um, different people. Well, Greg, I do have to ask the, the million-dollar question then because I was going to bring up your form for Ticknell Cricket Club in Derbyshire, the, the home of Tom Wood and Paul Borrington as well to name just a couple in that league and at that that local club. But I suppose the big question that Derbyshire fans will be wanting me to ask is a potential return on the cards for Greg Cork. If things were to go right in the game of cricket, would you still want to return to county cricket in the future? 100%. I think I'd still love to be a county cricketer. I think... I know my game inside and out. I know I've got a long way to go, but it would be it would be interesting to 
to have another crack at it. But I think them three or four years that I've had, I'm blessed to have had. I think now that chapter's been and gone. Very lucky to have had played against some amazing players, played with, travelled the world, um, done something that not many people have done. So really cherish that time and I'm very blessed and fortunate. I think now very content um, with my surroundings, friends, family, girlfriend, work. Um, so, yeah, just feel very blessed into how I'm here now. Well, Greg, it goes without saying, mate, but obviously myself and everybody associated with the Counter Cricket Podcast are wishing you all the very best of luck with your future endeavours, mate. Honestly, whether that's in cricket or outside of cricket, just keep up the good work, mate. But it would be fantastic, wouldn't it, to have that story, to get you back on the podcasters, who knows? Another county, add another one to the CV in the years that are upcoming. So it would be quite incredible. Never give up on the Dreamers. Who knows? Cricket is a funny game, isn't it? Another couple of good seasons for Ticknell. Maybe some opportunities might come up in a second eleven or a trial phase. And who knows? Could be round two in the Greg Court cricketing story. So only time will tell. But we'll be watching with both eyes, mate. And obviously wishing yourself and Ticknell all the very best of luck heading into the upcoming club cricket season as well. But Greg, that is essentially it for today's episode of the Counter Cricket Podcast. Just before we say our final goodbyes for the recording, do you have anything to plug or promote? Any social media channels, websites, businesses, anything like that? I wouldn't say so. Um, no, I have no other extensions of my business. <laughs> I don't want to commoditize anything other than this podcast, obviously. <laughs> exactly. Well, that is something that I can definitely endorse. Do follow the Counter Cricket Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and of course YouTube. All the links can be found in the podcast description below. And as it is podcast tradition, Greg, we will leave the links to your social media channels in the podcast alongside them as well. So listeners, if you want to go and follow Greg, keep up to date with how he's doing in cricket and some wider life in general, please feel free to go and follow him on Twitter and Instagram. The links to those can be found in the podcast description below. But that is it from us two here at the Counter Cricket Podcast for tonight's episode. So each and every single one of you wonderful listeners out there, thank you very much for tuning in. And as always, guys, we'll see you on the next one.